Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 103 called Abby. I'm so thrilled to tell you guys about today's sponsor, Extend Fertility. Extend Fertility was founded on the premise that democratizing egg freezing could ultimately change the fertility industry and deliver better results. Their co-founder, Dr. Joshua Klein, was actually my doctor. And as you may have heard me say when I interviewed him in episode 36 of this podcast, he's brilliant and supportive and overall awesome. Dr. Klein observed that IVF's success rate was low for women over 40, and its high cost was disappointing for doctors and patients alike. Dr. Klein saw the opportunity to help women think more proactively about their fertility. He believed that if more women could access their younger eggs during the IVF process, more women would see successful outcomes. He founded Extend Fertility, which began offering egg freezing at 40% below the national average cost. By 2017, they were the largest egg freezing practice in the nation, and today, they've expanded to offer a full range of infertility services, including IVF in a small practice environment that is more personal, higher quality, and data-driven. To make an appointment or to see more, go to extendfertility.com and tell them Infertile AF sent you. Thanks, Extend. All right, guys, I am so thrilled to tell you about my podcast guest today, who is actually a very dear friend of mine. We met on Instagram, of course, as one does, but we've become good friends IRL, and her name is Abby Feeder, and she is just an incredible advocate in this community and just a great human overall. So Abby and her husband Isaac first told their story on their podcast, which is called Maculate Conception, which you guys have to check out, which is on Audible. It was purchased by Amazon. So it's a great several-part podcast where they don't hold back. They share their fights, their doctor's appointments, their nurses calling. It kind of happens in real time. It's a very cool way to hear about their fertility journey. And today she's going to tell us in kind of a different angle because it's just her, no Isaac today. And we're going to talk about all of the things she went through, which my God, you guys, she has been through so much. I don't even want to give you any of the details. I want you to just hear it from her own words, but just know that if you've heard of it, she's probably gone through it and she's come out the other side so much stronger. And she's also started this incredible business called In Circle with her friend and business partner, Sophie, who's another badass infertility warrior. And they founded In Circle, which is a coaching service and a blog after they both emerged on the other side of their struggles with infertility and pregnancy loss. So they created it to, to provide support and guidance, and you should definitely check them out at incirclefertility.com. But today we're going to talk about Abby's story. It is a good one, guys. Get ready. Without further ado, this is Abby's infertility story. Abby. 
Abby. I'm so Hi. glad we're finally doing this. Oh my God. I'm so happy. I feel like we could talk for an hour under any circumstances about our fertility journeys, but the fact that we're doing it now for this is even better. Yeah. So thank you for taking the time. I just want to start. I know a lot of your story, but there's actually some of it I don't know as well. So I'll start up by saying that you and Isaac, your husband have your own podcast, which is on Audible, which is awesome. So, and thank it's called you. Maculate Conception. So if anybody wants to go hear that version of it, because it's very cool, like phone calls and kind of real-time things as you guys are going through it and, you know, other perspectives as well. So just wanted to throw that out there as well, but you're going to tell us your story here too. So tell me, I want to start with how did you guys meet? Oh my gosh. We actually met at a gay bar Uh uh, called The Abbey. Oh oh my God. I love that bar in LA. Okay. Yes. You know it. It's funny. They have napkins there that say, eat, drink, and be Abbey. Uh Uh-huh oh, we should get these for our wedding because we met here. But they have like a big cross on them. So I opted out because I'm very Jewish. Anyway, (laughs) I digress. Um, Isaac and I actually met for one day when we were like 17. Um, Okay. We went to the same Jewish summer camp. Like all the good, fun, dorky, wonderful Jewish summer camps that exist. Where was this? This was in upstate New York. So I grew up in New York City and he grew up in Chicago. But this mm-hmm. camp had people from all over the, the United States. It had people from Israel. It was cool. very centrally located in upstate New York. Uh-huh. And I'm a grade older than Isaac. So we were never in the same year, which by the way, he never lets me forget. And same with Vince. We're, I'm really? six months older than him. And he's always oh, like, seven You're months so old. Year. Yeah, yeah, seven months. And for those seven months that were not the same age, it's like, let me ask somebody older, Abby. Right? Like, you're such a jerk. And then for the five months that we're the same age, I ride it out as long as I can too. Totally. Yeah. So yes, we met at that summer camp, but you know, we were just kind of two ships passing in the night, but we had a lot of mutual friends and 12 years later, we were kind of the only two with the same group of friends that ended up in LA Mm -hmm. and we were meant, you know, we're both in entertainment. We both moved out here for entertainment and Mm we, a, a gay friend was visiting and was like, I'm going to the Abbey. And we had never met, like our paths had just never crossed. And we, it finally, they did. And I was dating somebody else and he was kind of in the playing field, but a couple months went by. And actually it's ironic timing because it was the night that Obama was elected. He had, had a little tipsy and he just, he said to me, he had gone to celebrate somewhere with his two best guy friends, and one of us is cousin. One of them is his cousin, and he's like, "Listen, you know, I had my best friend on my left and my cousin on my right, and the world was on the precipice of change, and the only thing missing was you." Oh my god! I Good mean, line. literally couldn't write it any better, and that was basically that. He moved in six months later. We were engaged six months later. We were married, you know, eight months after that. So when did kids start coming up in the conversation? I mean, it was just a given. I don't think. There was, I don't, we never even had a conversation while we were dating. Like, are you sure you want kids? It just was there. We are both very close with our families. Um, My mom's my best friend and, you know, he's very close. He has a brother, unfortunately, that doesn't live in this country and they still talk every day. Mm -hmm. And it just was part of our gen. Like we're not Orthodox Jewish, but we are very traditional. We enjoy the family time, the celebration, the big family dinners around holidays it just, we always envisioned and talked about a family. And it mm-hmm. was like, that was just that. There was no conversation of how many do you want to have, or it just was. Mm-hmm. And we had a perfect plan of when we were going to start trying. We and that worked to- out perfectly, right? Oh, totally. <laughs> okay. The end. <laughs> it was so nice talking to you. Yeah. Good to talk to you too. Um, <laughs> 
we were going on this trip to Italy and I just remember being like, this is the perfect time to try. We were going to be married about two years at that point. I was turning 33 that summer. I was, no, I was turning, yeah, I was turning 34 that summer. Mm-hmm. So we were 33 when we started and, you know, I, I started tracking my ovulation and I remember like I was scheduled to ovulate around the time we were going to be flying home to LA from Italy. And so I came up with this whole plan about how I had to test my ovulation at the same time that my first pee of the day would be in LA, not in Italy. I mean, I was like (laughs) crazy. Okay. I thought you were going to say you were going to do the the, like a mile high club or something. Oh my God. My husband wishes. (laughs) No, which by the way, I'm not necessarily opposed to, or at least Uh at the time I wouldn't have been. It was just like, I was very much a rule follower. And I, I was like, like everything, if you do all the things they tell you to do, you'll get pregnant. You'll get what you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would like test my pee strip in the middle of the Ufuzi museum at like 1 PM Italy time, because that was 5 AM LA time. And that's, (laughs) it was just like a crazy thing. And I'm like, it's fine. I'm going to do these things and it's going to work. Right. 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 So did you think everything was going along as planned while you were there? A hundred percent. I remember flying home and being like, Oh my God, you know, in two weeks, we're going to find out we're pregnant. And I'm really into like numerology and numbers. And it turned out that that day we were taking our first pregnancy test was also the anniversary of the day we met. And I was like, oh my God, it's totally going to work out. Mm -hmm. Yada, yada, yada. First negative pregnancy test, which by the way, until I was spoiler, actually pregnant for real, I never took another pregnancy test. So Mm. I only ever took the one because I was just terrified. Okay. Um, We can talk more about that later, but um So I took the first one that came back negative and I just remember like falling on the ground and my husband was like, okay, like this starts our journey. Like if you don't get pregnant on the first try, you're obviously going on a journey, which is so crazy because as we know, even in the most fertile of couples, it can take several months, many months, a year, and there's nothing wrong. Right. And I was like, no, no, no. It's just, this is a fluke. This is not, our story is not going to include a long journey you know, we're going to keep trying. And so did he just have a feeling that it was going to be a long journey or was, you know, at the time it's funny, we come from two very different groups of friends in terms of what, what we do in our life. We have this like Jewish summer camp background with a lot of old, old friends that we've been going to camp with and been friends with for years and years. And they were all having their first or sometimes second kids or starting their fertility journeys. And so it felt like it was a part of our life a little bit more because, Mm -hmm friends had already started trying and we're having issues and we're dealing with fertility doctors. And we just always said, thank God, this won't be part of our story. I don't, Mm -hmm. nobody ever thinks it's going to be part of their story. Right. Yeah. Never. And then on the other side of our life, being in entertainment and being in LA, especially so many friends that don't want to have kids at all or get married later in life or, or prioritize career. And so in our immediate face, it was not fertility issues weren't talked about often mm-hmm. because most of our friends were not trying to get pregnant or, you know, we have same sex couple friends where it's not necessarily as big of a priority. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't a hunch that he, that we would go on a journey. I think it was just a matter of what we were dealing with in our immediate future, Okay, our immediate, like what we were looking at. Sure. So what um, happened next? So, I mean, to make a very long story that we'll get into later short, We tried quote unquote naturally, which is a term I really hate, but it's true Mm -hmm. naturally without any assistance for about three years and Mm -hmm. two years in, we did see a fertility doctor. And I just remember, 
you know, when you're planning things like, well, if we get pregnant at this time, we can't go to so-and-so's wedding. Mm-hmm. And we definitely want to be in that wedding. That's totally. going to be a really fun one. So we're not going to try this month. So it's like we were taking it seriously, but I feel like in some ways we weren't. Uh-huh. You know, hindsight's 2020. Maybe I would have mm-hmm. done things differently. But after two years, we went to a, an RE. Okay. And he was like, okay, well, based on what you're telling me, we would start like IUI theoretically this coming Friday, which was like three days away. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah. You know, going to an RE was hypothetical. Like we right. just needed to show the, the God, the universe, the world that we're taking this seriously. We're not really going to start fertility treatments in three days. Mm-hmm. And so we actually waited almost a whole nother year before we were like, okay, I think it's time to go back. Wow. So what was the recommendation with the IUI? Like, why were they saying that? Just because it hadn't happened yet. So that was kind of the yeah, first step. Just, exactly. You and know, were you like, like eh, we don't want to like get that serious about yeah, it Yeah, I was just, I think also with IUI, I mean, there's so many opinions and IUI has a place for sure. Mm-hmm. Obviously it works for many people, but like if you're having timed intercourse and like, you don't see any problems. It's kind of like, why are you doing IUI? Maybe Mm -hmm. you need to zhuzh it up a little bit. And at the same time, it's the gateway drug. So why not start there and just see what happens to ensure that your egg is dropping and that you're doing what you need to do, right? Right. Like you wouldn't jump to IVF unless you needed to. Right. So we waited a whole nother year and then we did, we started IUI. Um, And this this was with that same reproductive endocrinologist who we really, really liked and Isaac really liked, which was really important to me that they have a good rapport, which, you know, is really silly because I'm the one that was there all the time, but I really liked him too. And the fact that Isaac, I, I felt like Isaac was really invested and on board because of how much he liked the doctor. And we did four IUIs, mm-hmm. four IUIs consecutively. We did Clomid every round. My, my injectables would up a little bit. And even after the third, the doctor was like, you know, you know, they never tell you what to do, but he was, I said, what would you do if I were your wife? And he said, I think I moved to IVF. And mm-hmm. we kind of, at that point too, were like, no, 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 no. Like, that's not going to be part of our story. Like, mm-hmm. this is all just a fluke. We did these four IUIs. We still really loved him. Every time I got a failed anything, he would, you know, open his office 30 minutes early if he needed to. So I could come in and he could just like watch me cry. I mean, he was so invested and in it. And, and I only say that and make a point of it now because we've talked about it even in fertility rally, like how important the relationship with your doctor is. And I did ultimately switch doctors, but not because he wasn't invested or because he did anything wrong. It was just, you know, I w- it wasn't working. So after the four IUIs and it was time to get a little more serious, we did our first round of IVF. And like, you know, a lot of times the doctors are like, your uterus looks beautiful. Your embryos look beautiful, which is so lovely to hear, but then it's not working. And you're like, well, what the fuck is going on? Right. Exactly. Um, so, you know, the thing about IVF is you get so much more information, like maybe all the time, all this time we weren't fertilizing or we weren't expanding or we weren't really dropping eggs. Like who knows? The Mm -hmm. only way you know, right, is if you do IVF. So Mm -hmm. we were super excited because we got, you know, 12 mature eggs. I think we got like 17, which went to 12. And then we sent 12 for testing Mm -hmm. and and six came back normal. Mm -hmm. And I was like, great, like this is it. We can have six kids if we want. Right. Right. Everyone here we go. Here we go. We did all the things they say to do and now it's going to work. Right. And we actually first transfer 
which I'm only learning now that this was a pretty aggressive approach, but my, my RE recommended two genetically tested embryos on first transfer, Okay, which is pretty rare. Uh-huh. Um, were you down we with it. that or did you have to be convinced yeah. at all? You guys both were? Yeah. We were like, this is going to work and we're going to have twins. Like this cool. is just what it is. And I remember the day before our test, my husband was like, I feel like we haven't really given this much thought. Like we were pretty fast and loose and just were like, sure, throw two in. Like you might have twins in you right now. Uh-huh. You know, dun, dun, dun. And right. so first test, we were sure that it worked and it, right. it didn't take. So how did that... Tell me about that when you got those results. Oh my God. It was so devastating. I mean, I think even our doctor was devastated. You know, at this point I was inching on 36 uh-huh. and this is now four IUIs, our first IVF, beautiful embryos, beautiful uterus, like what could not be working? Right. You know, my husband would be the first to tell you he had super sperm, um, <laughs> you know, which, you know, there, there was just no diagnosable issue, which as we know, in unexplained infertility is such a mind fuck because you don't want something to be wrong, but also there's just nothing specific that you can do. Uh-huh. And I had tried so many things. So I'm a very New York City gal, but I'm also an LA gal and I'm into all the umigumis. So Mm -hmm. I was doing, you know, Reiki and energy work and supplements. And I had an incredible acupuncturist who ironically was going through IVF at the same time. So we were sharing that together. Uh, She put me on like a no gluten, no dairy, no sugar. I love to eat and drink. So this was like, this was very strict for me. And Mm -hmm. I I was doing it to a T and- Mm -hmm. And it was mostly to balance the hormones. And in that sense, I felt like it worked, but I did it all because I'm like, if I follow the rules, like I'm a rule follower, it's going to happen. Right. And so when it didn't happen- Did Isaac do anything different? You know, he did did the food thing with me mostly because I was cooking all the time or, Mm -hmm. or making everything. And so he went along with it and he was open to doing whatever, but I didn't, you know, and honestly, I think- there were definitely times I wanted to murder him in the mm-hmm. process, but overall he was such a supportive partner through most of this. I think we've seen situations and I completely understand situations where this drives couples apart. Mm-hmm. And we've seen so many where it brings you closer together. And I think we got lucky that it brought us closer together. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, not without a whole lot of hard work and, you know, therapy right, separately right. and but we did the work and we, we definitely committed to always wanting to do the work together, which is huge. Uh-huh. So he didn't make that many changes, but he was super supportive. And, you know, we got the news. It was devastating. And I was like, all I want is like a deep dish pizza and two bottles of wine because I had been <laughs> so good on my diet, you know. <laughs> totally. And uh, we went to our little favorite Italian place and we got... Though they don't deep dish pizza, but we got whatever we got and had some wine. And we were like, okay, well, we have four embryos left that are tested normal. We'll just go again next cycle. So we went again next cycle, you know, six weeks later or whatever it was. And it the transfer failed again. Devastating. Devastating. And we went back to this favorite Italian restaurant and we had our same meal. And we were like, oh God, we don't want this to become like the doomsday restaurant where... (laughs) We come every time we get bad news. So we would also go for good news too. Anyway, this was now two failed transfers, four IUIs, two tested embryos left. And I, I was just at my wits end. And I was also, you know, I've worked so many random jobs because as an actress, like I'm always, and I also have a very entrepreneurial spirit. So Mm -hmm. I've always been able to just like piecemeal things together. And that's a lifestyle that I really like, but yeah. 
I was committed to like a pretty hefty job at the time. And I was like, listen, I need to find a way out of this job. And they were so supportive. Like I told them what was going on. It was a a female run business. They let me go when I needed to go and let me rest when I needed to rest. But it was taking up too much of my body space and headspace. And Mm -hmm. I gave them like multiple months notice that I would need to transition out because I was like, I'm not putting more money into this process until I'm in a less stressful situation. Right. Totally. And I'm very lucky that I had a family friend who's an incredible fertility doctor, Dr. Jeff Goldberg at the Cleveland Clinic. If anybody is in Cleveland, I cannot recommend him more highly. Yes. You Um, talked about him in our support group that one time. I know. And actually somebody from support group, I think has gone to him. Yes. So you were able to call on him for kind of like a second opinion, right? Yes. Yes. And the irony is like, I was a flower girl in his wedding. He married into a very close family friend. I was a flower girl in his wedding when I was like five. And then I hadn't talked to him again for, I don't know, 30 years. Uh And I was like, Hey, it's your flower girl. I mean, you know, we'd be in touch through family, (laughs) but, um, I love it. Yeah. So he couldn't have been sweeter. And he, he said to me, you know, there, I can't give you any explanation and I'm not in your situation. And he, by the way, feels differently about testing embryos. So that got me really confused, but he was like, look, you have two embryos left. You're 36. Do you want more than one kid? And I was like, yeah. And you know, obviously like, why would it be obvious to him? It felt so obvious to me. Like, why Mm -hmm. would I do this? I wanted like this big family. And he said, look, if I were you, I would do another retrieval because let's say for those, let's say from those two that you have left, maybe one takes in a best case scenario. And by the time you give birth, you're 37. And by the time you're wanting to think about another one, you're 38. And then maybe you don't have any embryos left. If you can do it, you should, I would do another retrieval. Uh I was like, holy shit. Like, I just thought this was it. You do, you do a retrieval once and you get what you get. And then, you know, you put them in and they work, you know, it never occurred to me to do multiple retrievals. Yeah. And did you guys have coverage like insurance? No, we had no coverage and we were paying everything out of pocket and we are, we're in entertainment. I mean, we were very lucky that a lot of the time that we were going through treatment, Isaac was working, but we are not always working and we are used to that lifestyle and we plan as best we can for that lifestyle. We don't plan for tens of thousands of dollars of fertility treatments. Right. Of course. Um, Who does? And we come from extremely generous families and they helped when and where they could, but it's not like we had a family member be like, look, here's a hundred thousand dollars. Like do what you need to do to get it done. You know? Right. 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 By the way, if one of my family members out there is that person, we'll still take it. I'm just saying <laughs> we have other projects we could work on. Sure. Um, so you know, we were struggling and I was like, let's take this break. Let me get in a better headspace and give it a few months and quit this job and figure our finances out. And then we'll do another retrieval. Mm -hmm. So at that point, my doctor said, and this is something that I think is really important. You know, you last time you had 12 embryos and you got six normal, I'm sorry. Yeah. We sent 12 embryos for testing and you got six normal ones back. Mm Mm-hmm. The ones that were abnormal were what we call regular abnormalities, right? Like there was nothing in there that was super alarming where we have to test every embryo. Mm. Maybe we try, instead of testing and doing a frozen cycle, let's try a fresh cycle. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, grab what we can and give, you know, wait till their day five blasts and put them in fresh. Mm -hmm. So I was like, great, this is a new approach. Now, in the meantime, you know, I start talking minimally to people in the field of infertility or people who've gone through it, who I'm maybe not that close with, but I know they have stories. And 
I start hearing about, you know, more experimental testing, things like immune killers. Maybe your body is killing anything that comes inside of it mm-hmm. or an ERA and endometrial receptivity analysis, right? Mm-hmm. Where they, they biopsy your lining and they, and so I bring all these things up to my doctor, which I'm sure every doctor must love when their patient's like, well, I have a very good course of treatment. And they're like, okay, let me just do my job. Right. But you know, but that was, being it, said, it's not a bad idea to come exactly. with a plan or questions and all that, of course. Yeah. And we know, and like you talk about all the time in, in support group and in rally, like you have to be your own best advocate. So who cares if they care, if they like you or don't like you, but right. You know, if you found something that you think might work, why not bring it to their attention? Mm-hmm. So I did. And And my doctor was like, you know, I don't think you need either of those. If you really want to do it, we'll do it. But it's like a thousand dollars here. And so when your doctor tells you, like, I don't think you need to spend money on this. You're like, great. Then let's not spend money on it. Why would I? Right. And, you know, I really did trust him. And again, I still do trust him. So we do another retrieval. Again, we do well with the embryos. I think we got 13 or 14, but we weren't testing them. So Mm -hmm. we were just going to do a fresh transfer and lo and behold, I get a positive, positive pregnancy test. We put uh-huh. two in untested. Uh, my first, this was 2016 now. My beta was pretty low, uh-huh. but it was still almost 100. So I thought, okay, both embryos didn't take, but one did. And, you know, it doubled by the next day at, or whenever you test again. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. This whole journey is behind us. We're pregnant. We have embryos left. Like we are good to go. Mm-hmm. And at about my seven week appointment, like we still hadn't seen a heartbeat at six weeks, but he was like, okay, don't, don't freak out yet. This, this could be, you know, seven weeks. Let's, let's give it a week. And at seven weeks, it became clear it would not be viable. Mm, And I was beyond, I was just like, I was beyond. I'm like, how is this possible? Like, this can't be our story. I just always remember feeling this can't be our story. Yes. Oh my God. I'm so glad you said that. Because I think that's yeah. such a common thought that people have that find themselves in whatever situation they're in. It's like, why me? What right. is happening? This isn't what how it was fuck? planned in my head, you know? Not at all. Yeah. So how do you pick yourself up off the floor after that? So at that point, Isaac actually had a film. And I, I don't mean to like name drop or whatever, but he had a film. Please at the Tribeca, do. Well, he had a film at the Tribeca Film Festival, which yes. was like a huge milestone in our life. And That's I was awesome. like devastated because I couldn't travel. My my doctor was very OCD about not no air travel during your first trimester or during IVF. So I wasn't planning to go, but when it was clear that it was not going to work out, he really didn't want to do a DNC. And he was like, I'd really rather wait and see if your body can take care of it naturally. So why don't you go to New York? And I was like, and I was so excited because I was like scared to be left alone when Isaac was going to go to Tribeca Film Festival and have this amazing time. And that's, those are those moments we all feel where you're like, oh my God, the woman bears the brunt of this entire journey. I can't even go and celebrate with him. And Mm -hmm. so I did, I went to New York and it was happened to have been Passover. So it was really nice. I got to Mm -hmm. see my family and do the whole Passover thing and got to go to the festival and when you live in LA and these milestones pass you by, you, you have to find a way to celebrate them all. And that's totally. the, the crazy thing about IVF in general is like so many life moments pass you by because you're a slave to this process. Yeah. And finding a way to celebrate even the little things I think is so important because otherwise it, it just takes over your life. Right. Right. So that felt like a little bit of a win. It definitely softened the blow of the miscarriage and my body did ultimately mostly take care. I had to take the suppository pills, I, mm-hmm. but I did take care of it pretty much naturally. And 
uh, it's a horrible experience as anyone mm. that's gone through it can tell you. And, um, it was, it was horrible and devastating and the feeling of knowing you're pregnant also, but waiting for it to leave your body is so sad and mm-hmm. feels of such despair. So having the New York to focus on was really great for me, but it was, it was such a, a blending of holding grief and joy at the same time, you know? Totally. Yep. So, put it. yeah, um, we talk about that a lot, actually, my husband and I. So mm-hmm. I feel like life is made up of holding grief and joy at the same time in so many moments. Um, and that, I love that our fertility journey really solidified that for us. Yep. So, you know, it's the same as being happy for someone who's pregnant and still being sad for you. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you know, I, my doctor was like, okay, this isn't great, but, and nobody else can say this to you, but your doctor, at least we know you can now get pregnant. Right. Mm-hmm. So now if we just take the tested embryos that we have left and put them in, it should be fine. Like basically this was probably you had 11 or 13, whatever it was, untested embryos. And we probably just picked two that were not viable. Mm-hmm. Now let's in that we know are tested and you should be good to go. So next cycle, once my miscarriage was done and everything was cleaned out, that's what we did. We were like, this, this is definitely going to be it this time because these are tested embryos and now we know I can get pregnant. This was my now fourth transfer. I had done two retrievals, four IUIs. This is going to be it. Mm-hmm. Transfer didn't take. Oh my gosh. So uh, again, like for people who are listening, who've been through, you know, several different kinds of losses or types of losses, how, do, how are you like emotionally getting through this? We weren't processing it great. I mean, we didn't feel like our friends and family were there enough for us. And this is not to dig on them. This is like part of the issue and why you and I do the work we do is because they didn't know how to be there for us. And Mm -hmm. we didn't know how to ask for what we needed. And we were processing so much of the grief just between the two of us. I was very, very angry, which I only realize more so now looking back on it, I didn't realize how much anger I was carrying and holding with everything. Mm -hmm. My mother, who, as I mentioned, like my best friend, she didn't know what to say and she did her best and she was an amazing support. She also happens to be a therapist, which comes in handy or not sometimes. Right. But, um, depending, depending, uh, you know, sometimes you have to be like, don't therapy me right now. Just be my mom. Mm -hmm. But nobody knew. I felt like everyone was dealing with us with kid gloves on. Yeah. And at the same time when they didn't, I didn't like how they were handling it either. Yeah. You know? Yes, exactly. It's, it's a good like point. People who don't want to tell you they're pregnant because they don't want you to fall to the ground crying. And at the same time, you find out they've told everyone else but haven't told you and you feel like the horrible outcast. Totally. You don't want to feel left out of those fun right. announcements, but you know that they're doing it to like protect, protect you, but you. it still right. sucks. Yeah. You know? So I was talking about it with one girlfriend named Annie and Annie kept saying to me the whole time, you know, one of my best friends from nursery school is a big fertility doctor. Why don't you just see her? Now I had the family friend second opinion. I'd gone for a second opinion or really a third opinion in LA. I didn't feel it was the doctor. Sometimes I feel like that's kind of a champagne problem. You know, you don't want to admit that it's you or your body. So you switch doctors, but the doctor can't, but all of that said, I did decide maybe I just need to switch it up or get some new energy let me catch my breath from this. I still had the 11 untested embryos on ice. And mm-hmm. at that moment, my biggest decision was like, should I test them? Mm-hmm. Because 
the longest pregnancy I had sustained was with untested embryos. So Mm -hmm. I kind of was like, maybe I should just keep doing untested. But I was like, how many more miscarriages can I go through? You can't just, well, miscarry again. Just miscarry again and then you'll be fine. Exactly. Right? So I was like, all right, well, at the very least, let me go to this this friend of my friend, Annie, and and see what she thinks, whether I should test these embryos. Mm -hmm. And the timing was crazy. I sent her an email and she was like, I can either see you tomorrow at like 11 or I can't see you until... This was in January of 2017. I can either see you tomorrow at 11 or not until like early April. Something like, Mm -hmm. she's like, I'll explain why when I see you. Mm -hmm. Of course, I took the appointment the next day. Good, yeah. And and I said to her, listen, I'm not switching doctors. I love mine. And she's like, yes, we love him too. You're in great hands. But if I can be helpful, let me be helpful. Mm -hmm. So I went in and lo and behold, and I don't want to share her entire story, but she's pretty open about it. She had had a crazy fertility journey as well. Mm-hmm. She had one small child and was on her way to go pick up a surrogate, a, a surrogate child that somebody was having for her. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's why I'm, I'm kind of going on maternity leave, but I didn't want to tell you because you'd see me and be like, that makes no sense. You're not pregnant. Right. Okay. Right. So she explained the whole thing. And at the time she was a little more hush hush about it, but she's since opened up about it because it's a crazy story. So she was like, she, she came up with some things that I think my first doctor missed. Mm-hmm. One of which was that when I had the tested embryos, he tested them in-house on day three, mm-hmm. not on day five. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know any better at the time. That was my first transfer. So I just assumed that's what everyone does. I okay. didn't know that it's very rare in this day and age to test on day three. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense, right? Because you start with two cells and the next day you have four cells and the next day you have eight cells. So if you're pulling a biopsy from eight cells, there's a greater chance of damage to the embryo than if you're pulling and biopsying from a cell from the, you know, hundreds of thousands of cells by day five, where you're not really messing with the core of the embryo. If that makes sense. So interesting. Yes, it does make sense. Yeah. And so that's something I never knew or thought about. Mm-hmm. And of course, then I went into panic mode. Like, why did I have to find the one doctor that tests on day three? And, mm-hmm. you know, I had to just make peace with all of that because you just have to move forward in this process. You can't go back. You just mm-hmm. can't. So she also was like, look, have you ever had a hysteroscopy? No. What's a hysteroscopy? Well, it's when I go in with a scope and we do like a really serious up close look of your uterus. Mm-hmm. She's like, I have an appointment, a cancellation tomorrow at 10 a.m. Otherwise, I can't do it till April. You can go to a different doctor. I'm like, I'll take tomorrow at 10 (laughs) a.m., right? She also mentioned in this appointment the two tests that I had mentioned to my first doctor that he didn't see there was a need for. And she said, look, I don't think there's a need for them, but I would still do them just to rule everything out. At this point, you've you've had four failed, three failed transfers and one miscarriage plus four IUIs. Like, at least try these. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I went to her the next day for the hysteroscopy. And unfortunately, at that point, she found scar tissue. And it was devastating because I I don't know if the scar tissue was from, if it had been from my miscarriage, that means that my first doctor had done a transfer without really knowing there was scar tissue there. And that felt like a betrayal in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't he have looked? Or like a big miss, right? Or yeah. a big miss, yeah. right? And and, and at the same time, like I said, I, in that moment, I couldn't live in the negative feelings and, and I'm not a poly positive person, but I had to just move, find a way to move forward and not hold it against him because I genuinely believe like that's just not his practice. 
and that's not what he does. And he definitely was invested in our outcome and he gave us as much love as he could. But like when that happened, I was like, okay, I'm switching to you. Mm-hmm. And so I switched to my doctor, Dr. Carrie Wambach at RPMG, who I refer everybody to. And I think she's amazing. And so she just, I just liked that she was more into these experimental ideas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there would be times that she would say, there's no evidence to back this up, but let's try X, Y, and Z. And I just really, at the point of frustration in my journey, when you feel, especially like when you're type A, which so many of us who go through this, I feel like are because we talk about it a little more, mm-hmm. right? You are out of options and out of control. And this felt like so many new things to try that I was like, I have to move to this doctor. Mm-hmm. Because there's a plan. Because there's a plan. Exactly. And she was like, yes, I would definitely take those 11 embryos and transfer and and test them. Uh So this became the issue of like, oh my God, now we have to tell my doctor we're switching because we have to get the embryos from one place to the the new place. And like, we decided to tell, you know, we told our doctor, he couldn't have been sweeter. He said, you know, I just, we all are just invested in your outcome. And you and I have talked about this. We've talked about it in Rally Support Group that like, that is the sign of a classy, excellent doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody who just says, look, people come to him for, you know, switch to him all the time. He understood, like, I, he just wanted me to have the outcome that I wanted. And if it wasn't with him, then he still wants the outcome for me. Right. Like so, ego aside is yes, is how you yes. want them to be. Like, if this isn't working for you, I get it. You know, and and so many times, especially in the infertility world, I feel like these, the infertility doctors have such egos and mm-hmm. it's, we all, we find people who run into that all the time. So not only was he supportive, but he was like, oh, I know the embryologist there. Why don't you use one of our tanks to transport your embryos? Take it in your car. Don't pay to, I mean, he literally helped us orchestrate the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And it was so, it just, it, it made me, it gave me closure to that experience in such a wonderful, positive way and not feeling guilty or like I owed him anything, you know? Right, Totally which of course I didn't and I wouldn't, but it's like, we can't help what we feel. Right. So Isaac and I, we actually have a picture of it. It happened to have been Valentine's day. We drove our embryos to Redondo beach where the other clinic was. Uh-huh. We always say we're going to write a, like a show called we, the day we drove our embryos to the, that one Valentine's day, we drove our embryos to the beach. Um, <laughs> and so that's how we spent our Valentine's day. And we, and we got those tested and, and, in the meantime, while they were being tested and while this was all happening and while my doctor was on maternity leave, I did all these other tests. I did the ERA. I did the um, immune killer blood test. I continued with my acupuncture. And once we got these tested embryos back and got all our tests back, we did what was my fifth round. Mm -hmm. And this was now a tested embryo, but it had been moved from one clinic to the next. And I got a positive pregnancy test. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, thank God. Like, we finally figured it out. My beta was really low, but th- I wasn't worried anymore because that had happened to me once before. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really low, though. It was like, I don't know, 30 maybe, 32. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, we'll just come back in two days and let's see if it doubles. And I went back and it was like 65. Mm-hmm. And then I went back again and it was like 110, but it wasn't doing what it's supposed to do, right? Right. Like multiple, multiple, multiples of, you know, hundreds of thousands of numbers. But they were like, you know, don't worry yet. Pregnancies can start off slow. And I was like, yeah, like there's no way this one's not going to take. 
And I actually remember I had to go to Vegas for a work thing and I started spotting mm. and my, and Isaac was like, I'm going to come meet you. And he came to Vegas and basically I miscarried in a hotel in Vegas, mm. which was real tough, you know, yeah, just not what anybody wants. And I came back from that trip. We drove back and I got my blood test and like my beta was still, I thought the miscarriage was over and it had just happened naturally. And my beta was like still 30 something. And then it was up to 40 something. And then it was down to 20 something, like something weird was going on. And so my doctors were very concerned that maybe it was ectopic and it was stuck in my ovary. And that's why it wasn't completely going away, but that like the fetal tissue had gone away, but that there was still something left in my Mm -hmm. tube. And so they were monitoring me like crazy. I mean, I, I was bleeding still every day. I got a positive pregnancy test on July 10th, I think of 2017. And I bled every day until August 17th. Wow. They did like, she went in and was like, I need to do another hysteroscopy and just see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so it's unclear whether it was ectopic or like, we don't still to this day know what was going on, but they, she did the hysteroscopy and she's like, we need to give you methotrexate. Mm -hmm. So methotrexate for anybody that doesn't know is generally a cancer drug that Mm -hmm. stops cells from growing. Right. Cause when we have cancer, like when somebody has cancer, you want the cancer cells to stop growing. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to give me this drug to make any cells that were living inside of me stop growing, which to this day, when I say that, it just like makes me nauseous. It's such a horrible thought. Yeah, for sure. And the worst part is that if, and when you take methotrexate, you cannot try to get pregnant again for three months. Right. Yes. I just talked to somebody else who went through the same thing. Yep. Right. So I was devastated Mm because once this happened, I'm like, okay, well then the next one will work and we'll just get back on the bandwagon. Exactly. Because now it's like time's a ticking every month that goes by. And Every. like you see people around you or who aren't having problems or it is working for and exactly. Yeah, and so like people who people who when we started trying were having issues were now on like their second or third IVF at this point because it was just right. Every day was another day of heartbreak. It just mm-hmm. was. And so then to add insult to injury, my doctor was like, Look, if this one didn't take, I'm a little concerned about all the ones that got transferred over from your first doctor. Mm. She was like, there's, you know, they were frozen and then we thawed them and then we tested them and then we thawed them and then we froze them and then we thawed them to put them in. And like, what if something's going on there? I think you should do another retrieval. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? A third retrieval? It's crazy. I mean, I just, I just kept saying like, I just can't believe this is our story. Yeah. So we do a third retrieval. We're feeling very positive. We decide to test. I got 30 eggs in that retrieval. Okay. Uh-huh. So I'm like, great. Everything's still going great. Was this a different protocol with the different doctor then? It was the new doctor. Very yeah. similar protocol though. Okay. They had done, they had done at this point, the ERA. So they did give me a few for transfer, a few extra days, a 27 extra hours of progesterone. Mm-hmm. And you know, the meds were, if it wasn't one, it was the other. Sometimes there's a preference, but for the most part, it was the sim- a similar protocol. Mm-hmm. And we got 30 eggs and I'm like, oh, thank God. Like, this is the last time we're done. And then like only 21 matured, which is still amazing. But our numbers had just, our ratios had been higher previously. And then the from the 21 that matured, only 16 fertilized. I think then like 
maybe 11 made it to blast and, and then like three were not good enough quality to test. So they just froze those without testing Mm -hmm. and they sent eight to test and only one came back normal. So Mm -hmm. 30 eggs, one normal. Wow. And I'm like, something's going on because I was getting much higher numbers before, like, and I think what was going on and I'll never know because we never did too many more tests on this, but I just think I was aging and like, I feel strongly that I might've been over-medicated and it just was making quantity eggs, but not quality eggs. Yeah. How old were you at this point? So at this point I was 39. Yeah. Okay. So we're three years into the assisted reproductive technology. Mm Mm-hmm six years into trying almost six. And I'm just like, you know, 39, that's another marker. They always tell you it's like 35, 37, 39, 41, 43. But I'm like, okay, well, we have this one. Let's put it in. We transfer this one beautiful embryo in. Doesn't take. Mm. So now I'm like hopped up on steroids. I'm doing intralipid injections. This was my sixth transfer. And I decide that I'm convinced that something is happening in the testing that is not working with my body mm-hmm. because it's just not making sense. And I right. sustain a pregnancy now. Yes. One time with the tested, but we don't know. It was like thawed so many times we don't know. And, and the longest pregnancy I'd sustained at this point was with an untested embryo. Mm-hmm. So they decide they're going to do, um, I had one tested left from an earlier round, one tested with one untested. Like we were mm-hmm. like, let's just mix it up at this point. Yeah. We tried that. It didn't take. Oh my gosh. Your body's been through so much at this oh point. Oh my God. It's like, I just, every time it's like complete, I started becoming mostly almost numb. Now at this point we had started recording. We mm-hmm. were so grief stricken and depressed and anxious and frustrated with the way everyone in our life was dealing with it. And like, what do you do? And I know you've talked about this too. Like, what do you do with a lifetime of grief that has nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. And our story at this point was looking like it was going to be like, we, we were going to be in the, in the childless community and this was going to be our life. And how do we process that? And so a friend was a friend who had a very successful podcast was like, why don't you guys just grab a mic and start recording? Mm -hmm. And so that's why. And when we decided to start recording, it was like late night conversations and doctor's appointments saying it's not going to happen. And, and that's why we started recording. So good. So was it therapeutic for you? Oh, yes. It was so cathartic and so therapeutic. And we, I mean, we don't hold back. You hear our fights, you uh-huh. hear our doctor's <laughs> appointments, you hear our nurses calling, you know, yeah, yeah. because so good at the time, and this was only now almost four years ago, like there were not fertility podcasts out there. And if there were, it was not in real time. It was like, you know, what this is, which is such a huge service. And I wish it had been there when I needed it. But I did, I was like, what is it like for other people to be going through this? I have no idea. Totally. Yeah. Right. You guys nailed it. Yeah. And so that's really the reason we made it was for people going through it. And so we did like, I guess our seventh one was, was the mixed tested and untested. And then we, we, my acupuncturist actually was like, listen, I know somebody that wants to be a surrogate. Like she's looking for a family and she wants to be a surrogate. Mm -hmm. And within days I was on the phone with her and I thought this was going to be it. Like we had embryos left. This was going to save, save our problems. We, we talked to our fertility doctor who had been through surrogacy. So that felt really great. Mm -hmm. 
And she was like, great. Like the, the day she starts her next period, have her come in. And like three days before she was like, Hey, um, do you have a second? And mm, you know, at that that's point, never like, good. it's never good. I'm like, that's, she's done. Like she does. And like, I can't hold it against her. It's a huge commitment, but mm-hmm. it was such an optimistic feeling. And then it felt like such another slap in the face. Like, why did you even tell me? She said to me, okay, well, the ball's in your court. I'm ready if you are. Yeah. You know? And so I'm like, why would you do that to me then to say, never mind? Totally. So we were really at our lowest, lowest point, but mm-hmm. I said to my doctor, look, there's two big things we haven't tried again. One is a fresh transfer with untested embryos because I had had success from a fresh transfer. Mm -hmm. And two is putting three embryos in. Maybe they'll just like bombard my uterus so much that my uterus has no choice but to take the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And my doctor was like, yeah, okay. I mean, I, I have to be honest. I think you guys are crazy to try anything again and expect different results. But if you want me to do this, like, yeah, we'll do it. And I said, and if you do it, I want to do like low dose meds, right? So we were on this plan. We called it the mini stim. Mm-hmm. We were really doing minimal, minimal stimulation. We were going for quality eggs over quantity. We just wanted one perfect embryo to put back in a couple days later and just get what we needed. Right. Okay. So I did low dose everything. I still got five embryos and she was like, look, if you have three to put in by the time it's day of transfer, we'll do three. If you have two, you'll do two. If you have one, we'll do one. And I had four. So she was like, let's take the the best looking three and put them in. Uh So I did um, a day five fresh mini stim transfer of three embryos. Now, given my history, given statistics, the chance of three taking is like basically, you know, 0.3 or something. Mm -hmm. And I was convinced for sure. I mean, you know, I never, ever really had a gut feeling one way or the other, but I was like, this did not work. Mm -hmm. This was our Hail Mary. I just needed to like cross it off the list to know that we literally did every single thing and tried every single approach to say that we did it and move on. Mm -hmm. And I go for my beta and my doctor calls I, when I when I was going to get the results. I had texted her saying, "Please call me directly. I cannot handle another call from a nurse." Mm-hmm. So I'm like in hysterics all day. It's the worst day waiting for the news. I'm shaking. I'm. It's horrible. Isaac stayed home from work because I'm like I can't be alone. I'm distracted. I'm pacing. And she calls at two thirty, and she's and I'm like, "Hello." And she's like, hello. Oh my God. And I was like, what what, 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 do you, what what does that mean? Why are you doing this weird voice? And she's like, girl, you are pregnant. Oh my God. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, your beta is 906. Wow. Okay. So we want our beta to be like 100. I've been at places where it's 32. She's like, it's 906. I'm like, yeah. Holy, Holy crap. shit. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, okay, great. Like I'm going to have a baby. Like at this point, if it's nine Oh six, it can go down as much as it wants. One of those babies is fucking sticking, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like in total disbelief and I'm still doing my intralipids and my blah, blah, blah. And she's like, come back Friday. We have to see what it goes to. So Friday I go and I'm like, I literally went in and I'm like, 
should I cancel my intralipid appointment? Cause I know it's going to come back as not pregnant anymore. I mean, mm. two days later, because this is the PTSD we live with. Totally. Right? Once you've been through it. Yeah. Oh, and they're like, oh, you're crazy. Keep your appointments. You know, lo and behold, they call me. They're like, okay, your beta is over 2000 now. And this is only like 13 days post-transfer. So I'm like, okay, I'm pregnant. Yeah, it's, it's probably happening. more than one baby, but I'm not going to get excited about that because you know, I can't, I can't have three babies. I'm going to be 40 in a couple months and you know, three aren't going to make it. Like it's not, it's the probability of three or even two making it is very slim. So I go for my first ultrasound and I'm at this point, I'm expecting that there are probably two Mm -hmm. and Isaac is with me and we see the heartbeat and I'm, you know, in tears and elation and just mostly just complete shock and disbelief. Like I would look on the screen and I would see the heartbeat and I wouldn't believe that it was inside my body. Right. It's so hard to comprehend. And she goes, okay, here's the second heartbeat. Oh my God. And I mean, I could cry just thinking about it. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And then she goes, and here's the third heartbeat. Wow. Silence. Isaac nearly fell off his chair. He's like, what? <laughs> and she's like, oh my God. Like the, the, the probability of three heartbeats is so slim. Like, you know, don't freak out. Don't get exci- excited. You're going to come back in like four days and you should just, just be prepared. Most likely you're going to have at, at best two, but probably just one. Like that's mm-hmm. just, I mean, these are untested embryos. And you're 39. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go back to the next appointment. Three heartbeats. Uh-huh. Next appointment, three heartbeats. And oh she's like, God. okay. And then we start talking about what we're going to do. And she's like, look, the ch- you cannot carry. I will not let you. And no OB is going to let you carry a triplet pregnancy. Mm-hmm. You've not this had too successful- high risk. Yeah. She's like, your chance of miscarriage is something like 97% in the first trimester Ultimately, it went to like 29 to 30% at least, you know, before term at some mm-hmm. point of miscarriage. By reducing to two babies, your chances go down to something like 3%. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a non-question for me. Like, of course, we're going to reduce. I can't carry three babies. I've never carried one successfully. Mm-hmm. She's like, the chances are that all three of these are not normal. Like there's something is going to come up as you're going to get all the tests. You're going to get the most invasive tests that you can. And there's going to be something and it's going to be a, a, as not an easy decision, but a clear decision as possible. Right. I'm glad so, you make that distinction between easy and clear. Yes, That's such a good. No, it's, yeah. Right. I mean, none of it, none of this was easy. And mm-hmm. I was in such shock, such shock. But at this point, I'm nearing 40. We've had a horrible journey. If I want two kids, aiming for twins at this point was my best shot at this. Mm -hmm. But I would have done whatever they told me. Like, I just wanted to have a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby. So, you know, we start talking about reducing and what that looks like and what tests you do. And you go to the genetic counselor and you go through like every detail of your family history in case there might be one small thing that's off. And there was really nobody to talk to about reduction. And I hate the word reduction, but I also hate the word abortion. Mm-hmm. It's They're both just so loaded. Yeah, obviously, for sure. Right? Like reduction's a euphemism and it's obviously better in this scenario as abortion, but there are not a lot of doctors in Los Angeles that will even do this procedure, uh-huh. which is still surprising to me. 
yeah. even if it's medically necessary. And my high-risk OB, who I absolutely loved, does everything up until the actual abortion. He won't do them, uh-huh. but he works with somebody who does. And so they worked with me as a team. So I finally was able to find a friend of a friend who had had a reduction before. And they were like, you should just talk to her. She'll go through it all with you. And she had a similar situation. She had gotten pregnant with four. And she explained to me, they don't test all four. They test two. And if two come back normal, then those are the two. And they take the one that they haven't tested. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of disappointing. I just felt like, God, I don't know. I feel like we should just test all three. I mean, this is so hard. I don't, how do I choose? How how do you choose? And I was doing so, I was in therapy and doing my, you know, my Reiki woman. And I have an incredible energy person who I was working with. And I was taking whatever help I could about this. But at the same time, I was holding joy because I was pregnant with definitely one, maybe two Mm -hmm. healthy babies, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So all I kept saying was like that third baby And I felt this from the minute I knew that that baby existed is my angel baby. That baby is getting me to the family that I'm supposed to have. Right. Right. Because that third embryo is what did it. I mean, we don't know that that's what, what scientifically did it, but this was the first time we'd ever done three and it worked. Right. And so I just had to make peace with whatever we decided in terms of which one we, we said goodbye to was the real angel of the situation that gave us the family that we wanted. Mm-hmm. Oof, I haven't said that in a really long time. Um, and so I did, I did make peace with it and we did the, the testing. And on the day of the testing, they explained why they test two. And it's, a, it was an invasive CVS. So there's a CVS that's just a blood test. And then there's the invasive CVS where they pull um, like a biopsy of the placenta mm-hmm. versus amnio where they take, part of the fetus. And right. we decided okay. we had the choice. We decided to go with um, the CVS because for a bunch of reasons, but they explained why they only do two. And they explained that it's very high risk to each of the fetuses, uh-huh. fetuses. And so we were like on board with that because I didn't want to risk all three of them if I didn't have to. Right. Yeah. But in that room, Isaac and I could not decide, do we do two? Do we do three? Do we do two? Do we test all three? Do we what do we do? What do we do? And they kept advising, like, you should really do two. It's really the safest for you. It's the safest for the, for the babies. Like, and so that's what we did. And we never really felt right about it. We just didn't. I just felt like it's not giving that third one a fair, a fair shot to even have a test, but we did it. We did the two and Mm -hmm. the CVS was extremely painful of all the processes we went through. It was really the only thing that, that really was painful and scary. They put a huge needle in your abdominal, your abdominal cavity. And so scary. It's really scary. And you have to wait two weeks. And at this point I'm like 11 weeks pregnant with triplets. So I'm showing, but I'm hiding it as much as I can. And we haven't told our family because I can't tell anyone I'm pregnant because I'm like, I want to be able to tell them, am I pregnant with one or pregnant with two? Right. Am I having twins? Right. Like, I, and we were also, of course, still so paranoid about anything that would or could happen. Yeah. So the two weeks go by and they call to give us our results. And before they even start, I'm like, wait, before you give us our results, just tell me, are they the same gender? Don't tell me what the gender is, but are they the same gender? Mm-hmm. 
And they said, they are. And I said, then I have to test the third one. I have to. Mm. And I know in some ways it's selfish and in some ways it's frowned upon and people can judge. But I knew this was my only shot of potentially having any children, let alone more than one child, let alone a child. And if I had the opportunity to have one of each after everything I had been through, I felt like I deserved it. And I felt like the third fetus deserved a test. I just, Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself. I just Mm -hmm. knew I wouldn't. It's your decision. It's, you know, I hope nobody does judge you who's listening to this. They don't necessarily have to agree, but that's, it's not their decision to make. It's your decision. You're exactly right. And, but it's, it it was so weighted in the moment and it's still to this day, like I haven't fully processed it, but we like had a rush appointment the next day to go in and test the third one. And it was in fact a different gender. Uh-huh. We still to this day don't know what was what and which was which. Right. I did not want to mm-hmm. know what we had to say goodbye to. Uh-huh. But I said, if you can leave me based on where they're located, if all three are equal, if you can leave me with one of each, I think that would be great and swell. And so they said, yeah, we can, like they're in a position where we can. Mm-hmm. And three days later, I had to abort one of my fetuses. Oh, and that fetus, I know it was so fast. And so painless and so strange and so surreal. And, you know, to this day, that's my angel baby that brought me my family. Totally. Um, Yeah. You know, I've since done some energy work on it. And like, like I said, I'm open to the umigumi. So there's thoughts and feelings about who that soul might've been. And I was helping them transition to the next thing. And, you know, that all gives me a lot of peace, Mm -hmm. but, but it sucked and it still sucks. And now, you know, We'll get there, but my, I I maintained the pregnancy with my two. Yes. Lo and behold, I have twins. And when I look at their faces, it's so much harder than I thought it would be because I think about what if there had been a third one there, you know? Yeah. It's really hard now. I thought it would be easier because, because I do feel so blessed to have the family that I have now. Yeah. And in some ways I thought it would be easier, but then I just look at their faces and imagine another one running around and, um, and it gets really hard. Yeah. I get it. It's really hard. You know? Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. I don't think that pain ever really will go fully away. I think you're right. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you, you made the right decision for what you needed to do for your family for sure. hundred percent. And like, that doesn't mean it's easy and it doesn't mean that you can't still have the grief about it for sure. For sure. And I think having to parent twin toddlers, you don't, I don't think about my grief very often. Right. So to stop and think and talk about it, which I feel is so important to my journey and I need to do a little bit more work on, but, um, but yes, those feelings come up again. And, you know, I was scared about like when I delivered, would it, would it be there? And, you know, all those questions. Yeah but it basically absorbs into your body. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I was terrified every single day of my pregnancy. I was never really able to enjoy it. I thought I'd be put on bed rest. I had placenta previa. They were both breech. Mm-hmm. I ended up like having a totally easy pregnancy. None of that gave me any symptoms. I was healthy. I was strong. Yeah. I, I had placenta previa too. Did we ever talk about this before? Hey, no. Yeah. And thankfully it didn't affect me big picture yeah. wise either. I had to have a C-section, but yes. Now, did you um, have a C-section the first time? Mm-hmm. I had, yeah. You, Cause I, I had placenta preview. Oh, you with had both it the kids. first time. Oh, with both. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I wasn't, or wait, I, no, I'm sorry. I didn't, I had it with ever. And then I didn't, and not I had sunny. sunny was breach, but I didn't have placenta preview with mm-hmm. sunny. 
And were you hoping to do a VBAC or were you fine? No, yeah, no, I didn't care. I I was totally happy to do another C-section. Honestly, I was fine. I have like a weird, a weird blood clotting disorder. Mm -hmm. So minimal. I've never had any symptoms, but when all this genetic testing happened, they found it and they were like, well, it just means no matter what, you'll probably have to have a C-section. Then mm-hmm. when it was twins, they're like, you'll probably have to have a C-section. Then placenta previa. Then, you know, every, mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? Great. Like there's so many unknowns that can happen. Like if that's the one thing we plan, I'm sure. fine with it. Like I was never disappointed about that. Me either. But basically I was scheduled for C-section. It was ironic because <laughs> election day, they're, my my babies are born November 5th, 2018. My beautiful. That's Vince's birthday. It is? Yes. November 5th. Yep. Scorpios, baby. Yep. They were, November 6th was election day, midterm elections, 2018, big day. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's the day they wanted to schedule me. And I'm like, nope, not doing it on election day. Like, I don't want that to be associated with anything bad that might happen in this country. Like I was, (laughs) hello, Abby, after everything you'd been through, like, just take the day they give you. But I was like, after everything that I've been through, I'm not having them on a shitty election day. Well, it's and like, so if you can have up, a modicum of control, he'll take exa- that's right? exactly what I, I, mean, I went to my, to my, uh, OBGYN. She's like, honestly, like I was like, how about Monday? She's, which was the fifth Monday. I can't do it. It's the only day I can't do. And I'm like, how about Wednesday? She's like, you're really pushing it. You're going to be 37 weeks one day with twins. And I'm like, please, I, after everything I've been through, please don't make me have them on a, on a day I don't want. Yeah. So that Wednesday would have been the seventh, 11, seven. Now my husband is a big and he's very into gambling and dice throwing. And mm. he was like, oh my God, 7-11, this is going to be at 11-7. Like, these are lucky numbers. He like went out and got some artwork. Like the week they were going to be born, <laughs> once it was clear that everything was fine, he like went and got this little Etsy artwork thing. And lo and behold, two days earlier, November 5th, I go <laughs> for my final appointment. And she's like, I'll see you at the hospital on Wednesday. And if anything changes or you start bleeding or anything, like call me. I get home, I pee blood. Oh. So... I'm like, hey, I'm bleeding, but it's probably fine. She's like, no, 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 it's not fine. Like, you are probably fine, but you're going to go need to have your babies. I'll meet you there. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, can I shower? She's like, no. Like, Mm -hmm. get off your phone and get to the hospital. So, of course, I go to the hospital. I have my scheduled C-section. Isaac's like, I can't believe I bought that stupid piece of art with the wrong birthday on it now, you know? (laughs) It's like, it's from Etsy. I can't (laughs) return it. Totally. (laughs) And I get to the hospital and like, we have a fairly uneventful birth. I mean, I got there at like 2.30 in the afternoon. My parents were on a, my mom and stepdad were on a plane on the way to see us thinking it's Monday. We'll get there Monday night. My mom and I were going to get blowouts and manicures on Tuesday. (laughs) Everybody has to look good for a C-section, right? Of course. And so I get to the hospital. We have a C-section. Now, the last appointment before the week of my kid's birth, my doctor had said to me, listen, I don't want to alarm you, but with twins at your advanced maternal geriatric age, mm-hmm. we always have the oncologist, the head oncologist talk to the mother before C-section. I'm like, oncologist? I remember I called my mom like, how dare she even use the word oncology with me? I'm a pregnant woman about to give birth. <laughs> and so I'm like, why would she scare me? And, and she said, it's very rare, but sometimes with twins, you know, some the drama can happen and it's the oncology team that actually do any kind of hysterectomy or anything that might happen. They're the most specialized. So you're just going to meet with her so that you know her. I'm sure it's going to be fine. Don't even worry about it. That was the only conversation we had about it. She's like, you're going to come in for your appointment 30 minutes early. You're going to talk with her and then we're going to go. Well, I never had the luxury of that consultation because 
I went two days earlier than planned. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I, I had my C-section. I'm holding my babies as briefly as they let me hold them. They're closing me up. I mean, the, it was Cedar sinai Hospital, which anyone in LA knows is like an enormous hospital. It's a teaching hospital. I'm 40 years old. I'm having IVF twins. It's a Monday afternoon. So like everyone's hanging out doing nothing. They're like, we want to see. I swear to you, there were 30 doctors in there at one point. There was like five from anesthesiology, then then, um, the pediatric team. I'm having twins, so they each get their own team. Mm -hmm. There were residents. There were attendings. My OB was there. Her uh, sidekick was there. However many nurses, okay? There's like 30 people. They put me in this enormous double room. Everything's going great. They're closing me up. And I, I can't really feel anything, but all of a sudden, I, I see one of the attendings like get on the table, and she's like pulling blood clots out of my uterus. Oh my god! And all of a sudden, I'm like getting really lightheaded, and my Isaac has both babies in his arms, and we call our parents, and he's Facetiming with them. Things start getting really fuzzy for me mm-hmm. and I'm like throwing up. And I, I remember saying to the anesthesiologist, I don't know what's going on, but I need you to like really put me out beca- and just like wake me when it's done. Mm-hmm. And at that exact moment, the head of oncology comes over, Dr. Julie Cass, who's my lifesaver, as was my anesthesiologist, Dr. Geller. And she's like, Abby, this is Dr. Cass. I know your OB talked to you about maybe needing to have a hysterectomy. And I just like look at her and I give her a thumbs up and I go to sleep. Yeah. And I wake up and my parents have landed. I did not get to see them meet my babies, which is devastating to me Oh, because I was in recovery because I ended up having to have a full hysterectomy. Wow. So yeah. what was, what had happened? Like what caused that? It was just the so complications I, from. Yeah. Kind of what you said, like the placenta previa provides extra blood to mm-hmm. your area mm-hmm. around your cervix. My cervix was blocked. Mm-hmm. My uterus did not contract as it's supposed to mm-hmm. after birth, which is what so many women used to die from childbirth. This is what they died from. Mm-hmm. And because it wasn't closing, my body kept giving it blood because it thought it needed more and more blood to give mm-hmm. birth. And it just wasn't stopping and they couldn't get to stop. And they were just like, we have to take this out wow. or you're not going to make they it. They saved your life. They literally saved my life. And wow. I will never forget this one nurse, Erica came over to me and she looked me in the eyes and she's like her, she's like, my shift is over at five and I am staying until you wake up. You are, I am not letting you go anywhere without meeting your babies again. Like when you will see your babies again. Yeah. And like, that was the last thing anyone said to me. And then I woke up in the ICU and I had had a hysterectomy. Wow. I know. Yeah. People do. So, (laughs) you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't so devastated about the hysterectomy mm-hmm. because I feel like it gave me what I needed. Mm-hmm. I wasn't probably ever going to have more kids, but I find myself having moments where I'm like, it would have been nice to have the choice still. Yeah. And again, I just, given every single step of the things that we went through, I just can't help but feel like there were so many miracles along the way that happened mm-hmm. that I really just, I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful. I know how lucky I am and and I also know how unlucky I was and how much shit I went through. Right. You yeah, know? you can't discount that for sure because you did go through a shit ton. Oh, um, but so you're right. Much. Like yeah. a lot of things had to line up for it to work out how it did. And you have your two little babes now. My how old are angels. they now? They're a little over two. Uh-huh. And they're delicious and wonderful and crazy. And I freaking love them. And I can't imagine 
I can't imagine my life without them. I'm just so freaking happy that they're here. I mean, I still to this day, especially because I went right into surgery after birth and there wasn't so much time to bond with them immediately. Like, I'm just like, where did they come from? Like, you know what I mean? Right, guys. Thank you so much for listening today. And Abby, I love you, girl. Thank you so much for going there today with me and all of us. A couple of other quick things. If you all would not mind going over to wherever you listen to this podcast on Apple or whatever, give it a rating, give it a quick review. It really helps us get noticed and just reach more people to help them out with these stories. So I would really appreciate that if you guys could do that if you haven't already. And secondly, Fertility Rally Live is happening on April 17th. It's an all-day virtual event, much like the one we did last fall. Uh, We have keynote speakers, panels, breakout sessions, happy hour at the end of the day, VIP after party, so many giveaways, incredible sponsors, incredible speakers. I'm so fucking excited about it. And tickets are going on sale to our members on March 1st and shortly after that to the general public. So definitely check us out at at Fertility Rally on Instagram if you're not already for all the announcements and all the details, but mark your calendars for April 17th because it is going to be fucking amazing. All right. Love you all. Thanks for listening.